0: Um, Hope everyone's doing okay, and uh, over the summer, um, I've um, swapped bedrooms, and um, as I've swapped bedrooms, I've come across a whole load of stuff um, that I haven't seen in quite a few years, one of which was this little box um, which was labelled sentimental, and um, in it was like uh, cards, and letters and photos that people have sent me over the years. And um, some of them are pretty funny, um, especially like the teenage kind of angst letters that I'd written either to myself or to someone else that I'd never sent. Um, but some of them are pretty precious moments, pretty precious memories. And um, I've got a few cards that people have sent me that have encouraged me in my walk with Jesus. So the first one is this, they're going to come up on the screens behind me, is this one. And it's got a little Bible verse on it. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, lovely Bible verse there. The next one to get a little bit easier is this one to encourage you. I think I must have been having a bad time because look how much text is in this card. And, um, and the verse on there is, my grace is sufficient for you. made my strength, is made perfect in weakness. This one, I don't know how this got through a design. This one again another bad time. It says, delight yourself in the the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And then finally, this one I came across says, on this special day, and um, the Bible verse in it says, the Lord has given good things to you. And it's only sort of in preparing this talk, I thought, is that a wedding card? Like, what is it? I don't know. Maybe it's prophetic, but anyway, (laughs) that was... um, That was a card for me, but all of those cards are, they're pretty inspiring, they're encouraging, they're encouraging Bible verses, but as I've reflected on them this week, and any other cards like that I've ever been given, none of them have anything to do with a word that is so fundamental to who God is, and who we're called to be as people who follow Jesus. And that's the word that we're gonna focus on this morning. The word is holiness. And the key verse we're going to look at this morning, it's it's first found in Leviticus in in the Old Testament, but then it's repeated in a little letter written by Peter to the new Christians. And 1 Peter 1, verse 14 to 16, it says this. It says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. So keep that verse in your mind, be holy because I am holy, because we're going to be coming back to it loads this morning. And I don't know how you feel about that word holiness. And I wonder why it doesn't appear on any of these greetings cards. Maybe it's because I'm just so holy, I don't need encouraging in that way. Um, That's a joke. But maybe, (laughs) yeah, actually it is a joke, but maybe it doesn't appear on those greeting cards, because actually holiness can be, can't it, a challenging word. You know, this word can sometimes make us feel a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit repelled. We can have this kind of eeyore approach to holiness. You know that character from Winnie the Pooh, who he's always a little bit pessimistic, a little bit depressed, a little bit gloomy. We can look at holiness in that way. Because just even hearing this word, whatever stage of faith we're at, we can constantly, it can lead us to feel guilty, like we failed, like there's this measuring stick that we will never live up to. That's how lots of us can feel about this word, but I really believe that if we can get our heads around this verse in 1 Peter, about what holiness is about, what it actually looks like in the Bible, then actually, holiness is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that we should be attracted to, not repelled by. And this is exactly what Simon Ponserby is getting at uh, in this book that he's written. It's called Different, Living the Holy Life. And uh, I'd say read it if you dare. It's it's hardcore and you'll definitely be challenged. But he says this about holiness. He says, I believe holiness to be a joyful pursuit. There is nothing miserable or morose about true holiness. As Anne Lamont famously wrote, "Uh, laughter is carbonated holiness. Holiness is happiness. The holy person should be in awe, not looking like Eeyore, and um, I love that, the holy person should be in awe of who God is, not looking like Eeyore, and here's a little picture of Eeyore for you, there he is, great quote, could be worse, not sure how, but it could be, and so the title of this talk this morning is Holiness, let's be in awe, not looking like Eeyore. Because the first point is holiness is actually who God is. And for those of you who who love stats in the Bible actually, the word holiness and the words surrounding it feature a thousand times, 850 in the Old Testament and about 150 in the New Testament. And it's there so frequently because this word holy, it expresses something that is so fundamental about God. It's who he is. And at its most basic root, that word, it means set apart. You know, it's this idea that God is wholly other, that he's distinct, that he's special, that he's unique, that he's above and beyond, that he's perfect in purity. His otherness is just indescribably brilliant. And I'd love us just to turn really quickly, if you want to, it's gonna come up on the screen, to Isaiah six, verse one to seven. And this is the prophet Isaiah speaking here, and he says this, listen up to seven verses, so it's a little bit longer. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each covered with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory." At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. You know, that is a pretty intense moment. Isaiah, he's in the presence of God, and things shake. He trembles, and he becomes so aware of his own sin, and God is referred to in this way, holy, 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 holy. And the fact that that word is there, is repeated three times, is a big deal, because it means pay attention, listen up. Because in Hebrew, the way they would draw attention to a word was by repeating it. And there's very few times where something is repeated three times. And actually, there's only one attribute of God where we see this done, and it's here. And it's like the words holy, holy, holy should be written in our Bibles a bit like this. You know, font size, I don't know, 3,000, I don't know what it is up there. Underlined, double bolded. Because the author is saying, this is the most important thing. You know, God is love, but it never says he's love, love, love. God is just, but it never says just, just, just. He's merciful, but it never says mercy, mercy, mercy. The only time that the Bible trebles an attribute of God is this, holy, holy, holy. It's saying listen to this. This is so central, it's so crucial, and if you miss this, you miss it all. It's who God is. It's not just one attribute amongst others, it's who he is. In fact, all of the other attributes of God, they carry his flavor, don't they? You know, his love is holy love. His justice, it's holy justice. His spirit is holy spirit. Holiness is central to who God is. Holy, 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 that is who he is. Perfect, set apart, other, higher, beyond. And um, I was trying to think of a way to help us understand a little bit, get our heads around this, this idea of being set apart or other. I mean, it's difficult because it only really describes God, but, but stay with me on this. You know, think of um, all the 100-meter sprinters you know, and then think of Usain Bolt. You know, he's in his own special league, he's distinct, he's amazing. Think about your bog-standard donut. you know? <laughs> then think about Krispy Kremes. They're amazing. Anyone not had a Krispy Kreme, you need to get yourself one. Then there's ketchup. We've got ketchup. And there's Heinz ketchup. Yeah? And of course, they're just for fun, aren't they? But I think they help us get our our heads around this idea of being set apart. Because when I watch athletics, I want to watch Usain Bolt run because he's amazing. When I have a donut, I don't want a rubbish one, I want a Krispy Kreme. And when I have a bacon sandwich, the only ketchup that will do is Heinz because those things, they're in a league of their own. They're the best. There's an otherness about them that stands out. They're distinctive. And of course, far, far, far more other than that, when it comes to life, I want God. He's the source of life, and it's in relationship with him that we find true life. He is indescribably brilliant, and he is holiness. And I want that. I'm not there all the time, but I want more and more of that. It's an incredible thing to be attracted to, not repelled by. But holiness of God, also, is not something to be taken lightly or messed with. And um, the Israelites, they experienced the otherness of God. They experienced His holiness in some quite intense ways in the Old Testament. It was so other, so set apart, so distinct, that they couldn't get too close. And um, there's a number of times in the Old Testament actually where God speaks to his people from a mountain. And um, I'd love for us to use this picture of a mountain this morning to help us understand God's holiness. So here's a picture of Everest. Has, um, Has anyone here been to base camp? Okay. No-one's been there? No. Great, well, congratulations, um, because I think that's a wise decision. (laughs) Because why would you ever want to go there? But um, for me, a holiday looks a little bit more like sunbathing. But um, my mate who I've spoken about before, Jen, she's far more adventurous than I am, and last year she actually did climb up to base camp on Mount Everest. And I just don't know why she did it, but anyway, she did, and she came back alive, which was great. But it was a massive um, adventure which required skill, training, Resilience, and um, here's a little photo of us um, FaceTiming at the the base camp. How they have Wi-Fi up there, I don't know, but it seemed to work. But you know, it was a massive achievement for her. But actually, base camp on Mount Everest is actually only part of the way. You know, very, very, very few people actually get to the top. And it takes months of acclimatizing, months of training, and even if you do get to the top, you can't stay there for very long because the conditions are too other it's too dangerous, you would die. And this morning, right now, if if all of us here as a group, we decided to ascend Mount Everest right now, we were transported from here to the top, over 8,000 meters, we wouldn't be loving the moment and um, up there taking a selfie, you know, because the conditions are too other, we'd die. All of us would die. Because the conditions at the top, they're so different to what they are down here. There's an otherness to it that we just can't adjust to. And that's a little bit of a picture of what the Israelites experienced when they encountered God's holiness on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. So God speaks to them from the mountain and he says his presence is gonna come in a cloud, but there's preparations and there's conditions. They have to spend three days cleaning themselves I don't know what that looks like, but three days, that's hardcore. There's boundaries set up for where they can go and they can't go. And they're warned, don't come too close. Don't come too close. It's like God is saying to them, purify yourself, consecrate yourselves. Get ready. Don't come too near because my holiness and my presence, it's just too all-consuming. It's too other. If you get too close, you'll die. And it's another sort of pretty intense moment because God's presence comes in this most powerful and dramatic way. The whole mountain is, is covered in smoke. The camp shook and they couldn't get too close. His holy presence is such a big deal, and even a bit dangerous. God is altogether holy, altogether pure, and above us. And I think that picture of the mountain is so helpful in helping us to understand this, because the conditions at Everest, at the top, they're just two other. They're too dangerous. We can't adjust to it or acclimatize to it. And similarly, for the Israelites, the conditions on that mountain were too other. There was an otherness about God's holiness that they just couldn't adjust to. Too holy, too dangerous. And there was a fear and a distance about it. And so really, that's the context of the Old Testament. God's establishing these people to be his people, to be set apart, to be holy but the Israelites, they just couldn't sustain it. They were called to ascend this mountain, but in their frailty and in their humanity, in their weakness and in their sin, they just couldn't do it. And, and over and over again, they failed, and their attempts to be holy and set apart just kept failing. And so instead of becoming like God's distinctive people, set apart, they just started copying the other nations around them. They started becoming like them. And this distance between them and God, it grew and it grew. Eventually they get exiled, the temple was destroyed, and they were overrun by different empires. That's where we end up at the end of the Old Testament. This picture of God's holiness and Israel's inability to be holy. But if we flip back to this verse again in in 1 Peter, it says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Because when you think about it, this verse is crazy. Like, do you see it? Because the verse is saying, Just as God is holy, you also be holy. And that's the second thing I want to look at. Just as God is holy, you be holy. This, in the context of the Old Testament, was an impossible requirement for the Israelites. And it sounds like, it sounds like it's an impossible requirement for us, doesn't it? You know, it's like God is kind of at the top of this mountain. We're down here wondering, how are we ever going to live up? How are we ever going to get up there? But it's not an impossible requirement, as many of us know, but all of us here need reminding. Because this picture is, of the mountain is incomplete, because it's not where we stay. We cannot get up that mountain. But the good news of Jesus and the gospel is that God comes down the mountain, he came down the mountain, we couldn't get to him, so he came to us. God comes down the mountain to meet with us. Because this incredible holy God comes to earth in the person of Jesus and everything changes. Everything changes, everything changes, everything changes. Do you see what I did there? I repeated it three times so you would understand. Everything changes. It's important. You know, Jesus comes. He lived amongst us and he showed us what holiness looked like and then he gives us holiness. Emmanuel, God with us. God comes down the mountain, everything changes. Because it's in this person of Jesus that there's perfection and holiness, but instead of this, this distance, and this in, and, and this, um, instead of this distance, we get, and intimacy. Instead of a fear, there's a love which casts out all fear. In the person of Jesus, there's no um, preparations or parameters. There's an, accept- there's an accessibility and a reachability like never before. And as God comes down the mountain, this transition happens. It's not like He wasn't there before. You know, God's always been with His people, hasn't He? It's the proximity that changes. There's a new closeness. God is with us in a new way. And so we're all here this morning. I've not been cleaning for three days. Don't know if you have. But there's no boundaries. We're here, we're experiencing the presence of God. We experienced that as we worshiped. And we're all still alive. Hope we are anyway. And it's not suddenly because we've just become so amazing. It's because of Jesus. It's because of his presence inside of us that we can trust him. The only one with a perfect, sinless life. The holy one. And so, We've gotta understand all of that because it's in light of all of that that this verse in 1 Peter makes sense. You shall be holy for I am holy. God sees us as perfect because of Jesus. And um, the verse has been up a, a few times already but I don't know whether you've picked up on the details of that verse. Because sometimes I find it a little bit confusing when we read about holiness there and elsewhere in the Bible because there's places where it says you are holy and there's bits where it says, be holy. So I think it leaves me with a perfectly good question. Why do I have to be holy if I am holy? Do Do you understand that question, yeah? And it's possible, I think, because when God looks at us, he sees us as pure and clean, we're holy. When he sees us in Jesus, he sees us as holy, even though our behaviors and our choices don't always match up. It's difficult to get your head around, isn't it? And so if we wanna aspire to be holy, how are we gonna do it? And I've got a few things that I think will help us with that this morning. The first one is that we know our identity. We know our identity. He calls us holy even though we make bad choices. He calls us sons and daughters even though we just run away from Him and do our own things. He calls us forgiven even though we continue sinning. And so He sees us in this light. He sees us as holy. That's our identity because of Jesus and the cross. So when God says, be holy, it's like he's saying, become. Become what you already are. He sees you as holy, full stop. But the Bible is also clear, isn't it, that our our behaviors must fall into line as well. We're called to become holy, even though we already are. And there's this process of becoming more and more like him that super intelligent people would call sanctification. And as has talked about last week, what we believe starts to affect our behavior. And for some of us this morning, I really felt like as I was writing this that some recalibration needs to happen when it comes to your identity. You know, maybe when it comes to um, how you feel about yourself, how you feel about your walk with the Lord, that you feel uh, like you're constantly failing, like you're messing it up, like you're not worth anything. Well, if you're here and you're following Jesus, God sees you as holy, as clean, as forgiven. He looks at you and sees you as perfect. Isn't that amazing? Holiness is something to be attracted to. He calls you his child. He calls you his saint. You know, everything in you might feel a little bit uncomfortable with those words. And like you can't own them. And in, and in many ways, you can't. But Jesus has on our behalf. This is who you are. So if you're struggling with that, come up. Don't, don't be ashamed. Come up at the end and get someone to pray for you. And if you don't know Jesus, this morning, as every moment of every day, is an opportunity to come and meet with him. So that's the first thing, know your identity. Secondly, follow God's call to be set apart. You know, remember, holiness means set apart. And that passage we're looking at in 1 Peter starts like this. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Don't conform. Don't conform. If you want to be holy, don't conform. We need to be looking to God for our marching orders rather than just looking at what is cool, what's trendy, what our mates or our family are up to. We need to be asking, what does God think about this? And um, ages ago, I had a job as a travel agent. And um, I thought it would be my dream job, as I I love going on holiday so much. And it turns out it was quite a humbling experience in many ways. Um, One of which was the uniform. And um, I don't know where where to start, but it was a navy blue nylon suit. Okay? And um, the trousers were up to my waist. The, the, um, the legs were like ankle swingers, they were a little bit too short. And then there was a tabard um, that was also navy blue, and it just had like this big fat like orange band around the middle and, um, and a blazer. And my mates used to sing to me um, like this, woman in a tabard, when they like look at me because I look so stupid. I felt uncomfortable because, you know, it just wasn't me. But anyway, I'd go to work, and the first day I walked through the door there. As soon as I got there, I felt judged. You know, my accent was a little bit different to theirs, and they used to call me the queen. Um, I think my accent's changed a little bit over the years, but they just couldn't understand why I'd wanna work part-time, why I'd be on something, or what even was something called the discipleship year. And, and so they just mocked me. They mocked me for my faith, and, and they ridiculed me. And I definitely didn't feel accepted. And, and even on that first day, I found myself not wanting to be distinctive. You know, I even looked a little bit like them in, in my uniform, obviously. I didn't want to be set apart. I started trying to drop my T's just so I'd fit in a little bit. My mum didn't like it very much. But you know, I started pretending that maybe I'd be interested in, in getting wasted with them. And, and after a few days, you know, I had this reality check, a moment where I remembered that, actually I'm called not to conform, called to be holy, called to set the culture, not to conform to it. And, um, and so it meant having integrity. It meant trying to be the best work colleague I could be at work. And um, I'm not saying I got it right all the time, because I definitely didn't, but do you know what happens? Like Over time, far from becoming being judged, I became so loved in that team because I refused to gossip when somebody wasn't there that day. I went out with them on their nights out, they were off their faces, and I was the one who was able to help them because I was sober. I listened to them when they told me about their relationship breakdowns. I was able to pray with them on some occasions in the shop. They started to notice there was something attractive to them about me not conforming. They could see that there was an otherness, that there was a distinctiveness. They could see a little bit of Jesus in me and they started asking questions about him. It's easy to conform, isn't it? Where are you challenged? Is it work? Is it at home? Is it at the school gates? You know, some of you might be smashing this out everywhere you go, but my suspicion is, this is hard. All of us find it difficult at certain times. But if we're serious about wanting to be holy because he is holy, then we are called to be distinctively different. We're called to turn, as that Bible verse says, from the evil desires we had when we lived in ignorance, to pursue holiness, to chase after it, to fight for it. So we're called not to conform. The next one is that we, we continue to receive his spirit in us. You know, the Holy Spirit lives in us and if we wanna be pursuing holiness, we've gotta be constantly at the feet of Jesus asking him to come and fill us over and over again because the fruit of the spirit is things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness self-control, and um, I just love hearing stories of people's lives changed by Jesus, you know, especially when it's young people. And um, <clears throat> at Dreaming the Impossible this year, which is our youth festival in the vineyard movement, this lad from Coastline Vineyard got up and he, and he shared his story as part of one of the sessions. And um, he'd come from, um, he'd grown up in care, he's about 17 or 18 years old now, and he describes himself as being angry, aggressive, and a bully. And his life was just in such a mess. Uh, and it got to the point where his, one of his adoptive parents was really, really sick. And I can't exactly, I don't exactly know exactly how, how it happened, but he ended up engaging with some Christians from, from the Vineyard Church down there. And um, he saw something in them, in the way that they relentlessly loved his family when things were terrible and the youth pastor invited him along to, to come along to DTI, and he said, oh, come along, there's gonna be a football tournament, you'll love it. And so this kid comes along because he thinks he's going to a football tournament. And um, in the middle of one of the meetings, one of the first meetings, he gives his life to Jesus. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and his life totally, totally changed. And it wasn't a in the moment situation. Well, it was in the moment situation, but it lasted. This was a year and a half later. This young man, his youth pastor, and his friends are like this guy's indescribably different to how he was. God's spirit filled with him, filled him up, met with him. He's pursuing holiness, and the fruit of that in his life is not anger, it's not aggression, it's peace. You know where is it that you're struggling to pursue holiness? Ask for more of the spirit over and over again, lean into him, wait for him, trust that he'll come and meet with you. Next point is that we remind ourselves of what holiness looks like in the person of Jesus and in the Bible, and we've not got time to go into all of this in loads of detail, but keep looking to to the person of Jesus. The Bible says, fix your eyes upon him. You know, he's the only one that lived a perfect, sinless life, but as you read the Gospels, don't you find that he's so He's so attractive. He's so attractive, his holiness is attractive. The way he cares for people, he he loves people, he restores people, the way he even rebukes people, it's attractive. Fix your eyes upon him because if you wanna pursue holiness, we need to be looking to the person of Jesus. And over and over again in the Bible, it's so clear, holiness, God gives us really clear guidelines as to how to live our lives. And um, one example of this would be Paul multiple times in the New Testament. He, he says, don't, you know, don't put up with this stuff. Don't just think, oh, yeah, okay, it's not that problem. He's like, rid yourself of it. He's like, chuck it out, get rid of it. And in Ephesians, he says this towards some lifestyle things. He says, stop lying. Tell the truth. Live with integrity. Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Stop gossiping. Get rid of bitterness. There mustn't be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed. Don't get drunk on wine. I would say beer and cocktails are included. He's saying there's more for you than all of that. There's more. I've just chosen some of them. Read the Bible for yourselves. You know, they're not my top tips. That's words directly from the word of God in the Bible. We are urged to live as children of the light, people who've been transformed. We need to live out of that identity. So look to the person of Jesus Look to the Bible, because that's where you'll stay rooted and grounded. So be okay? I know this stuff, it's hardcore, isn't it? It's like, whew, okay, but we're doing okay. It's very quiet. Um, the last top tip I wanted to look at this morning is this. It's, it's if we want to be pursuing holiness, we've got to embrace community. You know, we're not meant to do this alone. We're meant to pursue holiness together as God's people. That's why God invented the church. So we've got to help each other. You know, if you're part of this church, God's given us such an amazing community here to help us with that, here on a Sunday and in small groups. And if you're here and you're not yet in a small group, then you so need to find one because that's the place where you'll find yourself rubbing up against other people who want to pursue holiness together. You know, invest in relationships where pursuing Jesus, pursuing holiness becomes a thing, not just focusing on the superficial stuff. And for me, it's been in the context of community that I found myself getting sharpened. Even this week, one of my mates said to me, Suze, you're not listening to what I'm saying, and they were really right. But one little example I'd love to tell you about was a conversation I had actually with Debbie, I think it was maybe eight or nine years ago, and it was a conversation I'll never forget. And um, at the time, I was quite new on the staff team, and um, from time to time, um, I've been known to, to let a little bit of bad language come out of my mouth. And um, it wasn't a massive issue, but it was still an issue. And um, I remember one day, I was in a meeting with Debbie, and uh, uh, let's pretend this is her notebook, and we were in the task part of the meeting, and she was like, how's that thing going? Yeah, how's that thing going? And uh, she said, great, sounds like you're doing a good job. Closed the book, put it on the side, and, uh, and then she said, now there's something I need to talk to you about. And I was like, oh no, what is it? And, uh, and, she, just, and she just looked me straight in the eye, you remember it, don't you, and said, um, <laughs> She said, you need to stop swearing right now because it's not God's best for you, and if you don't sort it out, it will hold you back. God has more for you than this. I mean, can you imagine? She said it with a smile on her face as well. And um, talk about direct. You know, I was shocked. I was mortified. I was a little bit embarrassed, and my pride definitely hurt. And... um, All these things were racing through my mind, one of which was like, who's told her? And uh, they've got something to be answered for. (laughs) Trying to think up an excuse, you know, who who is it I could blame? You know, surely also, Debbie, I mean, it's not that bad. I could be doing worse things. But then I had a moment, you know, where it must just have been the Lord that nudged me. Because I realized, you know what? She's right. She's right. And so I said to her, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'll sort it out. And, and it took that moment to, to humble myself. It was a very humbling experience. Admit that I was wrong and to make a decision to change, to make a decision to, to chase after what God's best would be, to chase after God's purity, after his holiness. And it took discipline and accountability. And I think for the next like, two months or something, every time I met Debbie, she was like, have you sworn this week? And I'd be like, yeah, once, or like, no, no, no. And then at the end, we, the issue was sorted. But you know what, that experience for me, it actually was a defining moment. And it was one of those conversations that Bodders was talking about last week where he was talking about where somebody challenges us in love, everybody wins. Such a win for me in that moment. Because the reality is to, to rid ourselves of some of the stuff that hold us, holds us back. You know, whatever it is for you, we've all got stuff, we all have stuff that we need to sort out. It takes courage. It takes discipline. Sometimes it might be painful or embarrassing, but every time it's so worth it. It's so worth the pain, and we do it in the context of community. We do it in the context of letting our friends challenge us. So we're sort of coming towards the end here. Holiness is the most important incredible thing. God calls us to be in awe of who He is, in awe of what He's done for us, in awe of the amazing, amazing God that He is. A God who loves, a God who changes, a God who saves, who heals, who restores. And we're called to shine. You know, we're called to be ambassadors for Jesus, aren't we, and, and that means that the way we live, it actually really matters. Because the way we live is, is supposed to show something about what God is like and what Jesus is like. And if we're not careful, for all of our stuff, all of our baggage, it can obscure people's view of Jesus. Let's not let our stuff obscure other people's view of Jesus. You know this passage in 1 Peter, it's, it's so, so challenging. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And I've been challenged just even writing this talk this week, working on it. And I'm reading this, the, the Ponsonby book. There's a great quote in there that he says. He says this, God's standard is the one I aspire to, not one that I've attained. And I'd love for that to be our thing this week. God's standard is the one that we aspire to, that we aspire to it, knowing that we haven't necessarily attained it. Holiness is such a beautiful thing. We're called to be in awe, not ee We can't take it lightly because the same God whose presence made the mountain shake is with us now. Not because we sorted it, but because he sorted it. He came down in the person of Jesus and he made it possible for us to know him. He is holy, he calls us holy, and then he calls us to be holy. Why don't we stand together?